Welcome to the OVC Extra Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Schwartz, Assistant Commissioner for Strategic Communications at the Ohio Valley Conference. If you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can find us wherever you download your podcast with complete information at ovcsports.com slash podcast. We kick off our OVC 75th year podcast series with one of the most well-known commissioners in Division I history, Jim Delaney. Jim was the OVC commissioner from 1979 through 89 before spending the final 31 years of his career at the Big Ten. An OVC Hall of Famer, he brought innovative thinking to the conference and oversaw the league at a time when there was a lot of national success for member schools. Our conversation was so good that we are bringing his interview to you in two parts. So now, part one of my conversation with Jim Delaney. Well, Jim, thanks so much for taking this time to join us on the OVC podcast, the first in our 75th anniversary series. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate it. It's nice to be with you. Well, I know it's been a while since you've been the commissioner of the OVC, and I think a lot of people obviously know you from your time at the Big Ten. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about um, your memories at the OVC. But I want to start with your background. So, you know, what led you to get to the OVC in that? So, you know, first of all, your education. You went to North Carolina. You played basketball. Pretty high-profile uh, coach there that you, uh, you played for. Talk about, you know, your time at North Carolina and, and just that, uh, that experience with Dean Smith. Well, you know, I grew up in North Jersey. My, uh, my dad was a teacher and coach in Newark. Um, his father, my father, myself and my brother, we all went to St. Benedict's Prep in, in Newark, and we were all, you know, in and around athletics a great deal. Yeah, I was recruited to go to North Carolina, and uh, uh, I signed, uh, I think it was in April or May of uh, 20, uh, 1966, and enrolled in the fall of 1966, played freshman basketball for Larry Brown, uh, played varsity for three years for Coach Smith. I was a tri-captain along with Eddie Fogler and Charlie Scott my senior year. You know, we um, didn't play as freshmen, uh, but that was a good transition period. And, uh, you know, we only played 16 games, but we played in front of crowds and uh, it was a different time and place, of, of course, but Carolina basketball was significant then. Coach Smith was a young guy. I think he was 36 or 37 when, uh, when I signed to go there. And uh, his first Final Four team was my freshman year, and his second Final Four team was my sophomore year, and his third Final Four team was my junior year. So I played in a couple uh, of those, and uh, we won uh, three – conference championships, three Eastern regionals, three um, played in three final fours, didn't win a, a national championship, but there was a pretty good team out on the West coast at that time, but I had a good experience um, in Chapel Hill. Uh, it was a good social one, good academic one, good athletic one. And at the end uh, of my four years, uh, I enrolled at the law school and uh, spent uh, some time, earned a law degree there in 73, worked for a period of time uh, and uh, in, in Raleigh in state government, the attorney general's office, as well as I was counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee. And then I was trying to make a move back to college sports or sports. And so, you know, it was a different world, uh, much smaller uh, at the professional level and the collegiate level. But Bill Guthridge, who was the assistant coach at Chapel Hill and, and, and a good friend, good coach, good person, helped me uh, get an interview with a guy who was running the enforcement division 
who he had played with at Kansas State, a guy named uh, Warren Brown. So I was hired there in uh, 75 and, and traveled the country and did a lot of uh, enforcement activity. And, uh, you know, at the end of four or five years, I knew it was tr time to try to, you know, uh, figure out where I went from here. And I interviewed for some jobs. I thought about it. I was still playing a lot. I thought about maybe playing coaching in Europe. And, uh, you know, the OVC job opened up. Actually, Bill Matthews, who was a Western Kentucky graduate, was um, on the faculty at, uh, at Kentucky in law. Uh, his name was W.L. Matthews. He was also on the Committee on Infractions. And so I asked him about it, and he was, uh, uh, he was an OVC grad, and uh, he encouraged me. I think he probably made a few calls to his friends at Western Kentucky. John Oldham, who was a great, um, great uh, basketball coach, great person, great uh, AD. Uh, so I th I'm sure that WL reached out. And at the uh, CIA, I had a lot of friends. It was a small organization at the time, just 65 or 70 employees. And Tom Jernstead, Tom Hansen, um, these guys were running divisions and championships enforcement and, and uh, TV. And so I picked their brain, prepared for the interview, came on out. And I um, really was probably the least experienced and I knew it. Um, and most of the uh, individuals who were applying were sitting ADs. And uh, I had studied a little bit about it. I learned a little bit about it. Uh, again, the conference was, I think, 31 years old at the time. It was founded in 48. But I had actually talked to uh, Walter Byers about it, and, and he had uh, good things to say about the OVC because they were mostly other Tennessee and Kentucky institutions, similar missions, similar approaches, pretty stable. And, uh, you know, so he was encouraging uh, I got into the interview, um, and I remember uh, uh, Constantine Kurz, Dino Kurz, was at uh, Murray State. Bob Riggs was at um, Austin P. Um, Arliss Rodin had been on the NCAA Executive Committee. He was at Texas, uh, Tennessee Tech. J.C. Powell was Eastern Kentucky. Mars Norfleet was uh, up at... Um, Moorhead State and Sam Ingram was at middle. So my approach was to them, thanks for having me in. I don't need an hour because I probably haven't done enough to use up a whole hour. But I said, you know, I understand the regulatory environment. I was a student athlete. I have a background in law. I have a great affection and interest in college sports. And I actually said, you know, I know the other guys are much more experienced and older, but I, I sort of played the youth card. And I said, uh, you know, why don't you give me a chance? Um, give, me a, give me a year's contract. I wasn't making as much as them, so I undercut the marketplace. I said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do this for 30000 in a one-year contract. And, uh, you know, if, if I'm a mistake, at least it's a young mistake. And they and uh, so I went to the airport and I was sitting next to one of the other candidates. 
he said, I think you might get this job. I said, I don't think so. And so uh, the, uh, it was before cell phones, of course, and before mobile phones. And I was announced over the, would I go to the you know, airport uh, house phone? And uh, it was, uh, it was either President, I think it was President Curse, it may have been President Riggs. And they said, you know, we'd like to talk to you some more. So I, I stayed over and I, um, you know, we worked out a deal the next day and uh, that I, I went to work on July 1 and um, very small staff, not even a full-time SID. Uh, Ed Arning at middle was doing things part-time. Um, Polly O'Brien was the uh, secretary administrative assistant. And so I, I kind of persuaded them to give me a little bit more to, to hire an SID. John Vernon was the first SID. I had Buddy Patey as my supervisor and Ralph Stout. Those, were, those, those guys did a good job. And so, you know, uh, I was I was sort of off to the races, and that's how that process went. Our offices were on top of Shoney's on Hobbs Road in uh, Green Hills. It's my understanding that that was a move up from you know being over Western Auto, <laughs> also, you know, on um, what, what what road is that? Hills is that Hillsboro Pike? Yeah. Maybe? And uh, we were there for several years, and then we uh, we moved down, we moved down to Music Row, and and we were there for the rest of my tenure. We know that background that you had, sort of like our current commissioner Beth the Bush. She came from the NCAA. She had not been a commissioner, so you get the job and you start being a commissioner. What did you have to learn, or was was your background perfect because you weren't typecast into like I know what I'm doing. I I'm going to just do it the way I think I should do it. Well. You know, I, I knew the regulatory side of the business. We didn't have a lot of staffing. So I wanted to make sure, you know, I, I, one of the first things that I did was I looked at the OBC eligibility list and I saw there were places for signatures for the AD, the registrar, and the faculty rep. And they were s- sort of all signing off on the contents of that eligibility list, which had to be in my office and approved before competition occurred. And, and so what, what, I, what I spent a lot of time in the first weeks and months was making sure that each of those individuals who was signing off was signing off on something specific. So for the registrar, I think it was the bona fide-ness of the credits if the person was a transfer student or initial enrollee. And we, and I met with them, we talked about that and that that was their focus. And that the uh, uh, faculty rep was signing off on, um, I, I think it was the NCAA eligibility and OBC eligibility. So that in fact, the bona fide-ness of the credits matched up with their understanding of, of, of what the Big Ten, what the OBC and the NSA required. And then the athletic director, I think was signing off on the years of sort of eligibility, the fact that it was there on time. So we really worked to make sure that those three un- worked together, understood each other's responsibilities and uh, that, 
information got there on time. So that, you know, that was the kind of the regulatory mindset on the side of um, what I would describe as public affairs, um, outreach, branding, you know, we were very small. And so I spent some of those early months going to Lexington and Louisville, Nashville, and places like that. And to be honest with you, I didn't really like what I heard because I was trying to push uh, the conference as a strong mid-major, as one that wanted to compete on the national level, albeit with less resources. And, you know, I, I really felt without mentioning names that they weren't open to that message, that they had their priorities, they had their assignments, and that I wasn't going to be able in a, in a reasonable period of time to change how they thought about us. And so I had a limited amount of time, limited amount of expertise. So I decided at that time to focus my energy in that area on things I could control and could be active. So, you know, I got involved with more NC activities. I was on the, some TV uh, related committees, the NC still control TV. I got involved uh, with the NIT in New York. I, I knew, um, I know I knew some of the people there and I, and I really wanted us to be, and we did, we went 10 years in a row. In fact, one year we had two teams and just like one time we had two teams in the NCAA tournament. So I really was pushing more on the national level, NCAA, NIT or TV. That's where I decided to spend my time, not in print media. And so we, we had some success there uh, we had some success competitively. And the other thing that occurred was, you know, we had issues from time to time with regard to sportsmanlike conduct. And so uh, that was another thing that I thought needed to be emphasized. So I had some authority there. I exercised it. Didn't always make me very popular, but I think we developed a reputation on the eligibility side and on the sportsmanship side, as well as on the external side of being proactive. We weren't always right. We weren't always successful, but I would say I was working for university presidents. I was working with athletic directors. I was trying to figure out how the governance of the conference could work best. And I was hired by presidents. So I would say, you know, I was pretty clear I worked for them and with others. And so that created some friction time to time. Coaches have their points of view, directors have theirs. So I, I was learning how presidential governance worked and how you could integrate it. So it was a learning for me. I was a young guy. I was just turned 31 when I, when I got the job. And so I was learning on the job, but we were fortunate in the early months because at the NCA convention, the NCA TV plan was still in effect. And what had happened was the NCAA strategy was to provide some TV to one double A. And if you were in one A, you had to compete for it. If you were one double A, there were some assurances. Well, we weren't getting any, but I started, I don't know what the right word is, communicating, lobbying, 
um, being a pest. And we ended up uh, with a game on uh, Eastern and Mary played on uh, regional TV. And I think that was $400,000. We won our first one AA football championship. And we had a game on Turner. So Turner was the new cable partner. We had a game on Turner. We had a couple games in the playoffs. Eastern Kentucky won it in 79. So we were very good in football, but we hadn't won a championship. The first championship was in 78. I think we won in 79 and maybe 81, and we had finalists other years. So football, really good. Got some NCAA money. And um, really, we're trying to figure out the basketball. Now, we lost Western in the early years. And Akron and Youngstown went their way, picked up Tennessee State maybe in the middle 80s. So we were working in the expansion area, but we were trying to consolidate and we did well on television and took some of that football TV money with the approval of the presidents. And um, I spent a summer, I don't remember what summer it was, but early on to try to develop a regional network. But really I wasn't, making much progress because, you know, the people in Paducah wanted to carry the Murray games. The people in Nashville carry Middle and Pete, maybe Tech. The people in Lexington would carry Eastern and Moorhead. So I couldn't get a network and it was too expensive. You could, whatever you could produce it for was the same price, whether you're in one market or eight. So I was about ready to you know, say, hey, it can't be done. And I was at a meeting in um, Lexington, Kentucky with two friends. And um, I started, I was explaining to them that I was really struggling to make this happen. And I asked them a question. You know, what did the University of Kentucky do when they went on probation in 1951 on television? And uh, they both told me that one on a delayed platform at 11.30 Eastern time. And I said, you mean people watched it? They said, yeah, it was, it was well done. And all of a sudden, you know, the bells went off. And I said, well, if we put our games on live, do you think people would carry them? And they said, yeah, we would. You know, we'd replace MASH, it would be after the news. Well, I took that idea and, and Ralph made a couple calls for me and the next thing you know, we had cleared markets in Nashville, Lexington, Louisville, Paducah, Huntington, Akron, Youngstown, and Cincinnati. Nine markets all agreed to take it. Now, a lot of people thought we were crazy and that people wouldn't come. But if you check the records, you'll find out that most of the OVC basketball attendance records happened on those Friday nights because they became a thing. And um, you had dance contests, you had parties. Um, I'm sure that um, in some cases, we had as many as eight to 10,000 at the larger arenas and we had filled up the smaller ones. And, and we started off in the central time zone because it was 1030, but then the people in the Eastern time zone saw what was happening and they wanted some of those games, we, we did six or eight. Eventually we sold it to ESPN and uh, they put it on 
And, you know, as a result of us cooperating with them, it wasn't a money maker. It was producing, it was, uh, I got, first it was Fred McCoy who helped me produce it. And then it was Bray Carey out of Creative Sports Marketing. And then ESPN, because we were collaborating with them, they would um, give us a couple extra games. So in a couple of those years, we had as many as eight or 10 or 11 games on. And on the 40th anniversary of the conference, if you go back, which was in 1988, we actually had a birthday party for the conference on, on that ESPN. And, and I believe the lights went out and people held candles either. But we also had a New Year's Eve party and a, and a, and a 40th anniversary party. I can't remember which, but Eventually, other conferences out west decided to produce their own games, and we lost that slot. But we had it for a while. ESPN was born in October of 79, which is a few months after I came on, and they kicked off with 7 million homes. Our network, um, at its height, before it was turned over to ESPN, I think, was in 2.5 million over-the-air homes and another two and a half million cable homes. And this was before cable consolidation. So we, I got on something called the blue book because in most of these cable systems around the country were mom and pop operations, very small before the consolidation. And I would give them the coordinates. I would give them some time. They would give me some time and we would, you know, try to sell it. But, but we did that and, and we really got, uh, I think on NIT, as well as uh, uh, regional cable over the air TV ahead of a number of, of the conferences that were similarly situated. That caught a lot of people's attention. It was called FNL. It's a takeoff on Saturday Night Live, Friday Night Live. So that was a, a fun project. I learned a lot. Uh, I think people appreciated it. We were seen as, uh, yeah, were we traditional? Had we been around for a while? Yeah. But I think the people also saw us as, as innovative. We didn't have a lot of resources. We had to sort of pay our way in. But fortunately, in those years, not only was football doing well, they had really good coaches. You know, people like Roy Kidd, Frank Beamer, Steve Loney, Don Wade. Um, I can't remember all, but I don't want to, uh, Jimmy Fikes. These were really good football coaches. And we had, we have Phil Sims, Richard Dent, the Griffin brothers. We had pros, we had NFL players. We didn't have a lot of them, but this is how good we were. In addition to being, I think the strongest one double A conference. The only one that was near was probably the big sky. They were good. And they had a different style of play. But in that period of time, sometimes we ventured out and up. And if I'm not mistaken, we played somewhere between 15 and 20 games against Cincinnati, Louisville, and Memphis. And we more than held our own. We won a bunch of them. Whether we won half or not, I'm not sure, but we were competitive. We just didn't, we only had, I think, 63. I think at one time, 75. And then it went down to 65. But we had, you know, we were a little thin, but we were fast, well-coached, skilled, and it was a very high level. 
And on the basketball side, we had breakthroughs there too. After Western left, I think it was in 81 to go to the Sun Belt, and that was a shocker. We went on a run. Middle Tennessee beat Kentucky right here in Nashville. Um, Dick Vitale stood on his head after Ellen West Austin P beat Illinois. Murray State, I think, beat NC State and should have, could have beat um, Kansas, who won the national championship. Austin P in round two could have, should have, but for you know, something happening at the end of that game, uh, be Providence, that's a team. Middle beat Florida State. Uh, Moorhead State won a playing game against, uh, I think it was North Carolina A&T, maybe. We were close to beating Carolina, close to beating Kansas. Uh, played very competitively. Good athletes, good coaches. I think... We, uh, this is my perception. I don't know if it's anybody else's perception, but we talked about going out and playing people. And the coaches said, well, we can't get games on our home campus, although we did get one. We tried to reach up and play. And I remember one time talking to our basketball coaches. I said, we're not really the OVC. We should be the at conference because we're at every place. But, and we didn't win many of those games. We really didn't. But we, we, we played a lot of people. And, and we learned how to play. And we did not, in officiating, protect anybody. We wanted guys to play. And we weren't trying to, 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 to do anything other than play defense be physical because we knew that that's how the game was played at a higher level and people bought in, they got it. I think one year we had four teams in postseason play. I think we had two NCAA middle and Austin P. And I think we had Western and somebody else in the NIT. I mean, it, it was it was moving and happening and we had um, good players, really good players. Now they didn't look like the pure point guard, the pure center, you know, we had athletes and, and that's what happens at the mid-major level. And you find a place for them, try to retain them. And we had some disappointments. Um, but, and we tried to get to the point where our, our schools understood that if something went wrong, they were going to investigate. If something went wrong, they were going to report it. And um, uh, I, I, uh, I think we had an impact on the culture. We also did a little bit on, um, you know, painfully, we lost some programs because we were resource short. But we also tried to make sure we had the same number of championships for men and women. And, um, you know, the presidents were good. They supported us. I think our first budget, if you can believe this, was $89,000. Wow. And at the end because of the success we had in different areas, I, I think our reserve was $500,000. And we, we had better digs, had a little bit of staff, and had a little swagger. And then uh, I moved on, I had, to op I had a lot of opportunities to leave because I think people noticed how innovative and how, how much people were willing to, 
risk and try and innovate. But I, I really liked Nashville. I really liked the learning process. I really appreciated the opportunity I was provided. It was, a, it, was an, it was a laboratory for me to learn and experiment and experience. And I think everybody benefited. And when the time came for, because I did it, I really wasn't, you know, I really, I mean, I was offered, I mean, not, not to be overconfident, but much, much, much more, three, four times. But I, I wanted to be there. And I didn't want to go to an interim step. I thought that I had enough experience, enough insight, and enough passion that if I, I couldn't be where I wanted to be, I was going to be where I was happy. And in uh, 1989, uh, I was hired in the Big Ten to, to do that. I mentioned some presidents, but I mentioned some coaches, but, you know, Bubba Murphy, Jimmy Earl, you know, John Samford, Johnny Reagan, um, Don Combs, Martha Mullins, um, Margaret Simmons, um, Dean Hayes. Dean Hayes was one of the best track men, in fact, one of the best rules people in the country on NCAA rules. Um, I'm, I know I'm leaving people out. Dave Coffey, Gary Darnell, uh, Steve Hamilton. I mean, really good coaches, good administrators. And they put up with a young guy who was uh, sometimes a little bit pushy. Um, but I, I, when I left there, I, you know, was a different um, and more experienced um, administrator than when I came. So they always be thankful for the opportunity, always be thankful for the chance that, you know, those presidents gave a guy and, uh, you know, uh, within a few months, they extended me uh, uh, four or five years. I can't remember what it was. But because of that opportunity and because of their investment and confidence in me, um, it was an amazing opportunity. Now, you know, I got onto the NCAA basketball committee, the TV committee. I was actually elected chairman of the basketball committee while I was commissioner of the OVC before I ever had an interview with the Big Ten. And that was a, you know, feather in the conferences cap, what we had achieved together. And um, uh, we, were, we were small, tight, well-managed, but uh, I, think people, I think people recognized we were there to compete, do it the right way. That was part one of my conversation with Jim Delaney. We will release part two later this month. Jim visited our office a few months before we taped this, so I didn't get meet him first, but I was still a little intimidated interviewing such a legend. He is the first of our former OBC commissioners you will hear on this podcast series. As we celebrate the 75th anniversary of the OBC, we want to hear from a variety of former coaches, players, and administrators to get different perspectives on what has made the OBC great over the years. Remember to find us on your favorite podcast platform and like and subscribe to help us spread the word. You can also visit ovcsports.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, take care.